And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Hello and welcome into the Non-Negotiables podcast. It's Tuesday morning in the middle of a week where we don't play until Monday night. Because of that, things are pretty quiet in the Arsenal universe. Also, things are going pretty well for us at the minute, which always quietens down the discourse. We do have Rio Ferdinand doing Rio Ferdinand things again. This time he's saying that if Man U sack Eric Ten Hag, which of course they're going to do before the end of the season... If they gave Mikel Arteta a call, he'd jump at the chance to go and manage there. Of course it's madness, of course it's utter bollocks, and of course it's Rio Ferdinand going all Howard Stern again. It's not even worth a response, but fuck it, I'll give it a go anyway. First, let me say this. There's only 20 Premier League jobs, and really there's only five of them that give you a realistic chance of winning anything. For a manager outside of the Premier League, or even for a manager outside of those five jobs... I understand why they're the most coveted in Europe. They're right up there with Barcelona and Real Madrid. Or if you're a German, they're right, it's right up there with Bayern Munich. I don't have an issue with Rio Ferdinand claiming it's a massively sought-after job because he's 100% right. But there's a few reasons why Mikel Arteta wouldn't even take the call from tax-dodging Jim Ratface. Let's start with the obvious one. He's currently managing a team that's flying, challenging for the title for the second year in a row in the business end of the Champions League almost guaranteed to be in the Champions League again next year. They look set to, to challenge for the major honours for the next five years. And let's be fair, the reason that this team are in that position are because of the work that Mikel Arteta has done to get them there. There is no chance that he walks out on the foundations that he's built for that fucking mess. Also, people outside of Arsenal don't realise Arteta's affection and attachment to Arsenal. Maybe it's because they don't primarily associate him with a club because he spent so long at Everton as a player. But his love for Arsenal is as real as it can be, and the job that he's always wanted is the one that he's got, and he's made a massive success of it. There's no fucking way he walks out on that for that mess. His relationship with the people at the club have been forged over time and through experience. He's the manager of Arsenal Football Club. He's the boss. His relationship with Edu is completely symbiotic. It's not the sort of relationship that you would immediately have with a new sporting director who you probably have to answer to and would be, to a certain extent, at the mercy of. He's got the complete trust of the Cronkies, who, like them or not, are probably the most stable ownership in the Premier League right now. Even Abu Dhabi, who you would have put in that bracket before, they've got to have a certain amount of uncertainty because of the 115 Premier League charges. There's no way he goes from that level of support to that fucking mess. In summary, Rio Ferdinand is once again talking absolute tosh, and it's something that we're becoming very accustomed to with him. He knows that riling up Arsenal fans is the best way to get clicks and interactions, so do us all a favour, don't be like me and respond. Just completely ignore the prick, because that will hurt him more than anything you can say. Alright, back to the actual things that matter. I just wanted to mention a few numbers associated with this team. And seeing as we're on Rio Ferdinand and Manchester United, let's start here because I think it's apt. During the month of February, Arsenal have scored half of the amount of goals that Manchester United have in the entire season. 
let that one sink in, Rio. Um, that's that's unbelievable. In comparison to last season, at 26 games after the exact same stage last season, we've actually scored one more goal, 62 to 61, and conceded three less than we had at this point last season. Now, where the XG and the underlying numbers are concerned, it's even better. We've got a 3.2 higher XG than we did at this point last year and a massive 7.6 XG less than at this stage of the season. The 62 goals that we've scored at this stage is our best since 1964, which is the only time it's been that high since. Since the turn of the year, the Arsenal have given up just 1.9 XG. To put that into context, the next club up is Manchester City with 6.8. That means the gap between Arsenal and Manchester City in that regard is almost as big as the gap between City and Luton Town, who are the fourth worst during that same period. All those numbers just bring home how amazing this run's been and how good it's been to watch. I do want to caveat that a little bit because as good as we've been, it's worth pointing out that we've had a very, very kind run of fixtures. We've played some bad teams during this period and those numbers, as astonishing as they are, they are going to regress. Between now and the end of the season, we face some sterner tests. We've got some tougher away games coming up. And I think between the three of us, that are in this title race, there's absolutely no margin for error. Like for context, during this period of seven games since we started 2024, we've picked up 21 points from 21. Fantastic, right? Amazing stuff. But during that same period, Man City have picked up 19 points and Liverpool have picked up 18 points. And the three points that Liverpool dropped were against us. That tells you how close this is. That tells you the standard. I just don't see many drop points between the three of us between now and the end of the season. The margin for error is basically nothing. The positive news for us, we do look like a team that's beginning to peak now. I think at this stage last year, we looked like a team that had already peaked. We looked like one of those cartoon characters where the legs are moving really fast, but the body isn't going anywhere and it's struggling to keep balance. This year, it definitely feels more sustainable. I think the squad's in a completely different place as well. I mean, if you think at this point last year, we were about to lose Saliba and Tomiyasu. Partey was about to go away on international break and come back a completely broken man. Jesus was still planning his way into form. Hey, you know, some things never change. Um, but if you look at the squad now, Jesus was on the bench at the weekend and I fully expect we'll see him at Bramall Lane maybe even from the start but definitely playing some point Partey's been back in training for almost two weeks the decision to hold him back is definitely sensible because of how the rest of the group are playing we can afford to do that now we're told Zinchenko's close and might be ready to be involved on Monday night as always a situation where Tommy Asu's a little bit murkier but again there's positive reports on him um, for whatever they're worth of course, there's Durian Timber as well. He's a player I don't expect we're going to see much of before May, but he is working his way back from an ACL injury and he's almost ready to join the group. So that's all positive stuff for a team that looks like it's going in the right direction and it's the complete opposite of what happened last year. So away from that, what else is going on? Well, we've finished paying for Nicolas Pepe. We've sent our last payment to Lille. That one is done and dusted. 
Um, he was obviously a player that we massively overpaid for, a player we probably underused and one that was never quite as bad as he was portrayed, but never near good enough. I suppose really it brings to an end the role era of the club. Um, Tierney obviously still officially an Arsenal player, but that'll only be until the summer and then he's going to be out the door as well. And that will put a cap on a, uh, should we say, tumultuous period uh, in the post-Arsene Wenger history of the club. Other than that, there's been fresh links with Evan Ferguson today. Um, I have to say, this is one I don't really understand. He's a player that can't get into the Brighton team ahead of Danny Welbeck, and you're talking about $100 million to add him into what is right now one of the most complete teams in the world. I don't know what Evan Ferguson is going to end up being. I've heard all the hype surrounding him. I heard Tim Sherwood call him the next Alan Shearer. But I've not seen enough of him with my own eyes to form a really deep opinion of him. And part of that's because he can't get in the Brighton team. I can tell you this. When you pay $100 million, you pay it for Declan Rice. You don't pay it for a 19-year-old that can't get a game for Brighton. If you're telling me we're going to spend $20 million and see what we get, like we did with Samby, then I'm cool with it. But there's no way Arsenal spend $100 million, $80 million, even $50 million on Evan Ferguson just to take a punt on what he might be. Other than that, there's more links to uh, Amadou Anana from Everton as well. Um, it's another interesting one, but again, I kind of feel like he's in a similar position to Evan Ferguson. Obviously, he starts every week, but he's very, very raw, and I think for the money that Everton would want, it probably kills any chance of this happening. You're looking at pure potential, not ability, and being quoted 60 million for that I just I don't see it I think it's a, I think frankly I think it's a bit ludicrous I just can't see that happening seeing as we're on Everton um, I'll just touch briefly on the 10 point deduction which was reduced to six so Everton were docked points for a breach of the Premier League sustainability rules obviously it started out at 10 got slashed to six on appeal I think that was pretty much inevitable Everyone just had to do the dance. The Premier League had to give them the big deduction. It had to go to appeal. It had to get to reduced. And I think six is probably a pretty fair number. And I'm hoping that this just sets the precedent now. Like Forrest have got a case to answer now. And we're told that that's going to be wrapped up pretty soon. Do they just get the six point deduction? Or do we have to go with the 10, the appeal, the six? Do we have to do the same dance again? I hope we don't. I hope for the sake of the Premier League, we can just get this figured out and breaching these rules is a six-point deduction and that's the end of it. I think the bit where I do feel a little bit for Everton is that they're being charged again. Um, and I think when you've, you know, there, it's obviously done over a three-year rolling period. I think once you've been hit with a punishment, there needs to be some sort of grace period to allow you to get your house in order. Otherwise, it's just a perpetual cycle of this i think that is the one bit that really needs to be addressed i don't think the rules need to be changed i just think maybe the way we punish the rules um, or punish the infringement of the rules sorry needs to be set out a little bit clearer as for everton themselves before this all happened i, I didn't mind Everton. didn't mind them at all i quite you know traditional club i really didn't even want to see them go down since then the reaction of their fans oh my god I am desperate for them to go down because I just think they deserve it. The whinging and the whining for a punishment, for a crime that they've admitted they committed, 
is amazing. Absolutely amazing. You signed up to these rules along with all the other Premier League clubs. You've broken them. You've admitted you've broken them. It's on the balance sheet. It's there in black and white. There's going to be a punishment, right? Without punishment, they're not rules. They're suggestions. This constant whining, the Premier League's corrupt. Lads, what's corrupt is breaking the rules that are set out that everybody's trying to play by. That is what's corrupt. Being punished with it isn't corrupt. Now, I understand why some fans, especially the ones who don't really seem to understand what this is, I understand why they point at Manchester City and say, look, there's 115 charges over there. What about them? I do get it. But these are different rules. What Manchester City are accused of is completely different. They're accused of a whole new level of corruption, right? It's law-breaking. It's actually legally, legally corrupt what Manchester City have done. It's financial misconduct. It's conspiracy. It's fraud. Some of it even leads to as much as money laundering. It's a much bigger case. And it's one that should have much, much more dire consequences. And it's going to take a long time. The fact that City are refusing to cooperate is delaying it even further. And we know it's a tactic of theirs. It's what saved them, really, in the case with UEFA. They did get found guilty in that. They did pay fines of over $30 million, But they managed to drag it out long enough to have evidence time bars and escape the ultimate punishment that UEFA were trying to do, which was kick them out of Europe. And, and by doing that, they've managed to save a little bit of face because they can then turn around and say, well, you know, we're still playing in Europe, so clearly we didn't do anything wrong. Well, lads, you paid a 30-plus million pound fine. You absolutely got found guilty and you absolutely broke the rules. The fact that you're still playing in there is because you've got lawyers who knew what they were doing and managed to get it time-barred. And the fact that the court of arbitration for sport is quite frankly, not fit for purpose. And really, I think until this punishment comes down on City, until all the appeals are exhausted, we're really not going to know how this era of football is going to be viewed. To me, this is the steroid era of baseball. It's like Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa and Mark Maguire are never going to be allowed into the Baseball Hall of Fame. This Man City team, to me, will never have any respect. They haven't won any of these trophies. I don't count a single one of them. They've all been created in a lab by Abu Dhabi. That's why it feels so sterile and clinical. I don't see how Man City fans can take a single bit of pride from any of it. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I don't see the success as having a damn thing to do with Manchester or Manchester City. It's entirely down to the rulers of Abu Dhabi pumping public money into the club from a country that's thousands of miles away. You can't even say it's like a lottery win because they didn't pick the numbers or buy their own ticket. They just literally morphed into Abu Dhabi overnight. Anyway, enough of that. Um, so just to finish up today with a little cool story, a feel-good story. Um, well, some would say it's a feel-good story. Others might disagree, I guess. But I learned today that former Arsenal player and forever gooner Lucas Podolski owns 30 kebab shops in Germany. And uh, as a result of his entrepreneurial spirit, He's worth over 110 million quid. So good luck to you, Lucas. I, um, I've got to say, I like Lucas Podolski. I think he, you know, he might never have been quite as good as we'd hoped as a player. But I think off the pitch, we all loved him. He was a really popular character. One of the, one of the most popular, I would say, to, to actually emerge from the banter era. I think he's, he's, him, and, him and Chesney are, are possibly the two, character-wise, that are 
the most loved to have come out of that era. Obviously, you've got Santi, but for different reasons. But uh, yeah, I think just just good on you, Lucas. All right, that's your lot for today. I'll be back at the end of the week to preview the uh, Sheffield United game. But uh, until then, see you later.